Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's returning guest. He was an assistant coach with the University of Manitoba, where he's won two CIS bronze medalists. Uh, he's been an assistant coach with Team Canada at various youth levels, and he's the club director for 204 in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Please welcome back to the show, Jared Brown. JB, thanks for doing this, man. Absolutely. Great to be back. You know it's the uh, the dog days of summer when you're asking me back for a third time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, you and I hit it off during COVID, and I'm happy to report that hopefully for the youth athletes, uh, it, it's back to normal. So I would love to hear about your season at 204. Just skipping around the website, it looks like you have two, if not three teams at each age division. So I just got to know, uh, is volleyball back? Are kids loving volleyball? What was the tryout uh, phase like at, at 204 this year? Well, it was uh, an awesome year for us in terms of uh, our interest and engagement level with our teams. We actually had the biggest trial we've ever had in our 14-year history. So coming out of COVID the last couple of years, you know, you're a little bit worried. Is this, where is this going to leave us, right? Is there going to be a gap in development or kids getting less interested? And uh, we had uh, six age groups, so 13U all the 18U. We have uh, boys teams at every single age. And we had, I think it was close to 400 kids try out for those teams. So we ended up making uh, 15 teams from 13U to 18U. And like you said, we have two teams at every single age. But we also have uh, 14, 15, and 16. We have a third team. So that makes uh, 15 total teams for all of our uh, all of our age groups. And, uh, yeah, I would say at least in, in Manitoba and in Winnipeg that, that volleyball is still thriving and, and there wasn't too much negative impact. And then – that is uh, evidenced by uh, no nationals this year. It's the biggest uh, amount of teams they've ever had, from my understanding, with all the different ages and events and venues and everything they were running for all the different genders, uh, which is obviously uh, incredible for us to know that the last couple of years didn't have too much of a negative impact. So with you being the club director, just let me know uh, the logistics that go into that. Uh, were you scrambling for gym time? Were you scrambling for coaches? Like, uh, you're a great guy and you love the sport. When you have that many kids trying out, you're just like, how many teams can we make? How many kids can we keep playing volleyball? Yeah, we honestly are in a situation where every year we kind of plan to have, you know, a certain amount of teams. And there's kind of that ambitious amount of if this many kids try out for us. And what does that mean? And how many coaches can we possibly have? And I think every year we get into a situation where we kind of feel like we're comfortable having a certain amount of teams and then we get more kids try out and there's just too many good kids for us to make a decision that we, we don't want to let them go, especially at the youngest ages. Because unfortunately, you know, as popular as volleyball is in Winnipeg, um, you know, it is a really, there's a great base in history and a lot of people who love the sport. Um, there aren't as many clubs as you would think. I guess like we're, we're sort of a smaller province that way. And I think a lot of it is the, due to the fact that we don't have a lot of um, big places and big cities and bases to draw from other than Winnipeg. You know, like if you're in a, in a Toronto, you, know, you get Toronto, Mississauga, you get Kitchener, you get, um, you know, clubs from all over the place. And in Manitoba, you know, you get something from Brandon, you get a little bit soccer, Steinbach, but we don't have a lot of other spots. So, we, if we don't take them a lot of times at that, at that level, like once we get into kind of like our second or third teams, if we don't run those teams, a lot of those kids aren't going to end up playing. And we feel at 13U, 14U, 15U, it's just way too early to make a decision on a, on a kid's future that way to turn them away and not want to have them play. And when ultimately what ends up happening is a lot of times those kids, they end up making, well, they'll move their way up, right? Like as the system kind of goes along, gives them a chance to develop. So what ends up happening is, like this year, for example, I had to coach two teams. I coached our 17-year-old team and then ended up coaching our 13U Cardinal team, which was kind of like our second group of boys. And um, we had kids who, we had a boy on our team who was nine uh, this year. So he was in grade four. And it's just incredible, like, to have kids that young playing the sport. And, you know, they improved so much that by the end of it, it's like you couldn't imagine not having them come up, right? Like, to look back how far they've come along. Um, and it's really kind of shows us that it's worthwhile to run that many teams and it can make for an adventure, right? Absolutely. Like say with gym time, it can make, make things tougher to find enough spots for them to play, but we've been lucky enough to, uh, to make it work. With you mentioning, uh, the, the communities that do have boys club volleyball in Manitoba, I am curious with your roster, who's got like the biggest commute to practice? Like how, how long are kids going? Like, obviously you have like uh, Winnipeg proper, but I'm wondering for many of the smaller communities, are kids in the car for like an hour to get to practice sometimes? There will be some for sure. Like we have, uh, we have a decent amount of kids who come a little bit south of um, 
of Winnipeg. And one of our coaches, Dan Lothar, who's been with us forever, really, basically, he's a teacher uh, at a school that's just outside of the city. And um, it's kind of a, a French community that's a little bit south. And they come from like a St. Adolphe and St. Agathe and all these kind of little smaller places, Il de Chaine, where they have, you know, definitely, especially you know, most of our seasons in the winter, right? They're driving on the highway and you get some blustery conditions. And those things can be a little bit difficult. But for those guys, it'd be, you know, probably a little bit less than an hour, but it also depends what part of the city that that team is practicing in too, right? Like it's getting to Winnipeg is one thing, but then also getting to your gym. But we've had athletes, uh, JJ Love played for us for one year. Um, it was kind of that, COVID season, but he's now at the University of Brandon. He's a setter there, but he was from Gotham, which is, um, you know, I think it's four hours away from Winnipeg, but he was able to kind of make it work where um, some of the times he would spend in the city and whatnot. But we had an athlete this year, though, from Kenora, which is just uh, into the Ontario border. So he would make in the commute. And I think all told, that was like an hour and a half or two hours by the time that he would sort of make his way from school, whatever, to get to practice. So there is a pretty big reach that way. Um, and uh, it's pretty it's pretty amazing when you see these guys out of practice knowing how far they come just to uh, just to get there. Now, one concern coming out of COVID was obviously with the kids and the families be interested, but also coaches because all of a sudden they free up some evenings. Maybe they don't miss it. So, with you being a club director, how have we found a way to retain coaches and also kind of support them? Because uh, as much as we'd like to be rich off of this, and I don't think any of us are really that wealthy coaching club volleyball, but we do because we love it. So what, what are some tricks you found as a director to kind of support and, and encourage them to always keep coming back as well? I really try to work very hard to make our coaches feel uh, appreciated and try to create a community where it's more than just uh, the two hours they spend in the gym, right? So try to do some things um, collectively as, as coaches to get to know each other and really try to create a bond from like our 13 year coach all the way to our 18 year coach where they all know each other. They're all kind of on the same page. We were able to do some clinics this year. We had all of our coaches together. We had five different uh, Tuesdays this year where everyone was kind of gathered together and not just to teach them about the sport, but also just socially kind of get them all on the same page and kind of uh, become, get, make friendships out of it too, right? So it's not just this, oh, I'm just driving to practice tonight. This is kind of the thing that I do. I like coaching. Um, but I think we found that the people who still wanted to coach kind of during the one season where, you know, we kind of were coaching in masks and you could only have like 10 kids at practice and all that kind of stuff. Like you found the people who really liked coaching, right? Like if you were still willing to to coach through that and you were still willing to come out every single time because i'll be honest with you that wasn't very fun right like it wasn't the greatest time in the world to be a coach um, there was no competition you know you had a hard time connecting with the athletes and like it just it was difficult obviously right we all remember what those times were like so when those coaches came through that time and then wanted to continue on it's like okay we know we've got some good people here these are the ones who are wanting to to stick it out right um, but like you mentioned, there's a lot of people who, who've always coached because they've just have always coached. It's something they've always done. And now all of a sudden, like, oh, wow, I'm home at four o'clock and I'm home for the night. I don't have to go back out again. Right? I don't have to deal with um, minus 30. And that's the other part that's tough here is most of our club season. It's in the dead of winter. Uh, it kind of sucks sometimes. Right. You don't want to go back out. You're pretty comfy on the couch. You don't want to go back out at 8 p.m. to go to an eight to 10 practice and get home at 10:30 or 10:45, and have to get up and go to work in the morning. So the people that we do have, we know that they really love being involved in the sport, and um, you know we're very fortunate that we have a big community of alumni who continue to graduate from our teams as athletes and then want to stay involved as coaches, right? So this year, right away, we just had a whole bunch of turnover where these guys who played ATU for us last year jumped right back in and wanted to be coaches. Um, for us, uh, you know, this year, not, they're not playing university or even some of the guys were doing both. Some guys were playing university and coaching with us, which is a lot to handle, but they're able to make it work. And we're just super lucky. I think we in total, we had uh, 42 coaches this year in our club and, uh, to spread out over the 15 teams. So it's a lot of people to get to know. And, uh, every year we lose some and we gain some just kind of the way that it works. There's just always going to be some of that turnover and people come back. They take a year off to come back. Uh, there's always this kind of this uh, pull and I always kind of needle at them a little bit over the summer. Like, Hey, it'd be great to have you back and maybe we'll go golfing and we'll kind of talk about it. And it works about, uh, I don't know, 50% of the time. I've got a pretty good way of getting some people to come back. So 
Yeah, great to hear. I was also hoping you would share just your club philosophy. So when you have three teams, is it as simple as like you're going like A, B, and C for lack of better language? Are you trying to make it more even maybe at the younger age groups? Like how do you divide when you have multiple athletes and you're trying to make either strong or even teams? We've always been pretty open about having, like you said, like an A, B, and C, right? And we have our goal team is kind of our, our top team and Cardinals are our next group of 12 guys and white those are sort of the colors that we use. It's just because of the colors of our of our club. And I've always wanted to just mix that up and throw in the blender one year, just so kids, like, they're so determined. Like, I want to be on the goal team and then just say, like, the white team is our best team one year just to sort of uh, confuse the kids when they come out of the tryouts. But, um, you know, the thing is, is I've always felt that if you make even teams, like, when we're having three teams, if our, say, number one most skilled player is on a team with their 36th most skilled player. Like if you were to rank them one to 36, that's probably not beneficial to the number one player or the 36th player, right? Like you kind of have a way to develop them with the guys who are like-minded and like-skilled with them, right? And um, the thing that is very important to us that I've really tried to uh, stress to all of our parents and our athletes and our coaches is that all the teams get the same amount of opportunity, all the teams get the same amount of coaching, all the teams get the same amount of training, right? So it's not a situation where like we are putting these players who are our best 12 players from the tryouts and then giving them five more practices a week than the other teams and putting them in more tournaments and, you know, like setting them up to succeed and setting the other guys up to fail, right? We want all of our teams to have a chance to be successful. And I always stress at our tryouts, like, hey, we're seeing you after two or three days of tryouts we're going to get this wrong. Like it's going, there's going to be kids who sh- who are either too high of a team or too low of a team. And just based off of the trial that they had, that's going to happen. Uh, despite how many coaches we have watching you, some guys are going to show really, really well at a trial. And then some guys are going to struggle, right? Some guys are going to be returning players who we know what they can do. Some athletes are going to be new who are going to be slightly uncomfortable and slightly shy and maybe don't show their best, but we put them on our Cardinal team. And they end up being the best player in our club, right? Like there's things that can happen that way that are so much more than just the volleyball skill that influence how those teams can actually be selected and very open about that. And, um, you know, year after year, we have guys who will always continually be leveling up or leveling down. And it's kind of uh, nice to know that we have like our own sort of internal development system within our club that we don't need to be adding a lot of players from other clubs every year because we have, we had 36 boys playing 14U this year, right? So we know that going into 15U next season, hopefully we have at least 36 boys returning, right? That they all want to come back and play. And then you're just going to get new guys that will come out. And it really helps from year to year to keep the teams fresh and keep them uh, motivated because you have all these guys who want to be uh, participating uh, each season. I, I may have misread the 13U team. I think it just listed all 20 names. Did you divide that into A and B, or did you have that core because they're so young, trained, and, and practiced together? The cool thing about that was that we had uh, 20. We selected 24 athletes. So we wanted to have two teams of 12, and then just you know the way that things work, uh, we ended up only with 20. So of those uh, of those 24, there was one guy decided he wanted to play football, and one guy got hurt, and you know next thing you know. Um, we just ended up with 20. So we decided, you know, let's, let's train with these 20 athletes for the first month. And, um, I ended up being like kind of the lead coach for our, our 13 U this season. And we had a couple of younger coaches who had played for us in the past, but had never coached and great guys, really keen, really enthusiastic, but it was a way for me to sort of, uh, mentor them in that first month, show them some drills, get them comfortable with all the athletes first and train as one big group. And then it also allowed us to evaluate them for that full month and really kind of give them a extended tryout. And then we put our two groups of 10 together and we did sort of have that same model of kind of a gold and a cardinal team. And what ended up happening too, is like, so we had about three or four underage guys. So we had some guys who were 12, 11, as mentioned that one nine-year-old. So for them, you know, it was best that they all kind of stuck together as well. Um, and just to kind of have those groups a little bit split up that way. But same thing, they went all the same tournaments, got all the same opportunities. Uh, we actually ended up playing in 14U Provincials and 14U Westerns because they were in Winnipeg this year. So it was a great experience for them to see what that level of play looked like. Um, some bumpy 
bumpy games along the way, obviously, like when you're of that age. But the way that it was all set up this year, you kind of were playing teams. You know, we weren't going to play the number one seed on the first day of nationals, right? It's not like the old days were kind of the way they do it. So they changed it a little bit. So we didn't get like the 25-1, 25-2 experience, which is good because we didn't want to scare them off. Um, but they had a really good year. Those guys are our 13 year goal team and finishing third at provincials and with some really, uh, really good athletes. And as proud as I was to see their development, the coaches development was awesome too. Like from that first little bit where they kind of were a little tentative and not sure what to do. I gave them the, the kind of the goal team. They were the coaches of that team. I took the Cardinal team and they took that team. Um, you know, they led it and they were running all their own boxes by like once we split up on those two teams in February and they were running the show and, um, I got uh, two good golf partners out of the two because they're both uh, way better golfers than me and they work at golf town and they can get me a discount. So everything worked out uh, amazing on that front. It was just a success all around at the 13 U age. Was there any challenges for you personally as a coach, as a guy who's been in like a volleyball Canada gym, you usually coach, I think 16, 17, 18 within the club. And now you're at 13. It was that, was that a new opportunity? Was that a new challenge? Did you find joy just working with like fresh faced athletes or did you have to rethink your, your drill database for what you could do with some 13s or, or nine year olds, as you mentioned earlier? Yeah, man, Abram, the nine year old Abram, this guy was, man, he was, it's so cool. Like to think of that he could play like five years of club and still be in 13 U. This is all <laughs> said and done. And he had one of the best, the best serves in all of 13 U. So with this little guy, um, but for sure, the drills had to be different, right? Like, I think that's uh, that's pretty standard. And then, obviously, with only, like, 10 guys on the team, too, just shaping things a little bit different than we normally would um, with having 10 instead of 12. And at 13U, like, they have so many other things on the go. They're always at other activities. And we had, like, a guy got hurt in a ski trip. And, like, for the first probably little bit, we had, like, six guys at practice all the time. So you're always constantly uh, on the fly. And I, the last, my first, like, couple years of coaching, I was very – um, very detailed. Like I wanted to have everything written down on the whiteboard and have explain what we're going to do with the guys each day. And then I didn't really like being stuck to that model. I liked kind of being a bit more flexible. So I went like years and years of sort of, I have the plan in my head. I knew what drills I wanted to work. I have skills we're struggling with at the older ages, but we were going to tackle that like on the fly. And if one drill went longer than, than it needed to be, then we'll get to the next drill tomorrow, right? Like it's not a big deal. Um, but the group that I coached last year at 18U, they, we were struggling a little bit. Um, you know, Aiden Bossy actually was on that team. We got a chance to, uh, to work with this year and Aiden's uh, an awesome guy. And, um, he, like, like the other guys, they really benefited from having seven to seven fifteen. We're doing this seven fifteen to seven thirty doing that. Right. And kind of like mapped it all out. They like seeing it before practice. So I went back into this year with that same idea, but at 13U where like guys just like randomly just don't show up. Right. Cause they're just. Like they can't get themselves to practice. They, when you're like in grade seven, you just go home sick like half the time, right? Like I think this is kind of one of those things, like not even like a COVID thing. You just like, oh, I have a tummy ache. Like, you know, like I'm tired. You know, you just think these guys are like, we forget like nine years old. Like guys are, they're young, right? Like they're, they're so young. And I think sometimes too, at that age, like, uh, you know, mom and dad are tired, right? Like they're just like, oh, I had a hard day at work. Like it's not a big deal. If, uh, you know, one of our guys doesn't go to practice that day, like they're only in grade seven, like they'll, they'll be fine. So I basically got to a point where I couldn't plan anything. Like I would just go to practice and like, Hey, how many guys are here? Okay. We got four guys today. Like let's uh, work on this thing. Right. And just very much um, just on the fly. And uh, it makes you such a better coach. If you can, if you can do that, right. Like it's one thing to be prepared and have a a plan and and stick to it. And that's awesome. But to be able to walk into a gym, see how many athletes you have, how many positions are there? Like what, what do you guys need to work on today? And then make a plan from there. Uh, that makes you a way better coach. But I always laugh because we have so many coaches who want to coach and they all want to coach like competitive. I want to coach our 18 U team. So, like, okay. Yeah. Like that's great. Like that's like the highest level. It's most competitive, but I mean, um, nobody wants to coach 13 U and 14 U. Like nobody, there's just not a lot of people who are really, really keen to get involved at that younger age. Cause they think that it's not competitive enough or it's not exciting or it's not going to be as challenging. Well, I'll tell you this, uh, 14U volleyball is good. Like 14U volleyball, these kids, like the best kids, 13U and 14U, they can play. Like it's not just like, oh, bump, 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 right? Like it's it's actual volleyball. It's come so far in the last few years. And the kids are massive. They're so big compared to what they used to be. And I would say that 
you need to be, you need to have a good coach at 13U. Like you can't just throw some random person in, in there because this is their gateway to the sport. Like you want them to not only get better, but fall in love with it. So I would say I put way more focus on having like developing, but having fun. Like every day they had to come in, they had, to, they had to have fun. They had to have a good time. They had to go home telling their parents, like, I loved practice today, right? So how do you do that? Well, at that age, you're probably going to have to have some sort of game situation in some capacity all the time. So they feel like they're, they're going home, enjoying themselves, right? It doesn't have to be six on six and like just playing, but something where we're keeping score and something where they feel like they're competing a little bit, the guys would love if I would hop in there and play, right? Like they would love just being able to me to be out there and, Honestly, that's probably the last level where I could still get out there and play and, and not uh, and not get hurt. <laughs> so I felt pretty good about it. My uh, my serve at 13 year was pretty strong. Um, but I went home, I would say, almost every night loving the 13 year practice. Like I would go home and I'd tell my girlfriend when I got home. She's like, how's back today? And I would just talk to her about it for like 15 or 20 minutes. Like it was just so much fun. The guys were doing this and this guy did this funny thing. And, and 17 U. You know, it's great. I loved every second of that too, but you don't go home with that same sort of excitement because the guys are just at a much different level of who they are as athletes, but also just as, as people, right? Amazing. Yeah, I remember speaking to Chris Lawson, who was a university coach here in Ontario and a big-time learning facilitator, and he was joking that, uh, you know, everybody wants to coach college university and the structure and the tactics. That's really exciting. He's like, you'll know you're a confident coach when you're coaching a kid's camp and 40 kids show up and you got two courts and you're like, all right, we start in 10 minutes. What are we doing here? So uh, I'm curious when you're feeling the flow and you're kind of going for it, uh, was it just your experience as a coach that you could be a little bit more a uh, riverboat gambler and kind of decide the practice plan? Like, did that give you confidence or would you encourage just younger coaches to come with a plan and say, okay, we need to work on serve receive and then just be open to how many kids are in the gym. Do we need a coach input involved? Do we need an athlete input involved? Like how did you stay calm and literally have like maybe a routine warm-up they would do but after warm-up you knew what you were doing for like the next hour and a half yeah i I would say probably bad advice like if there's a young coach listening right now who's just says like oh i just go to practice every day and just wing it that would probably not go well um but i think the flexibility and you know the being able to be creative is important as a coach like seeing reading the room not sticking with just like what you wanted to do that day. Uh, because sometimes at that age, like the guys are just not, they're just like not feeling it, right? They're just, they're just certain times and days, like at that young age, they just can't do certain things. So let's just go back to something that they're going to enjoy. Right. And we'll tackle this thing the next day, or we'll like try to come back to this drill in 15 minutes. Right. Like, and that's the thing too, at that age, you can make drills really short. Like you can kind of have a way to keep it fresh. They don't get bored. And I found like our 90 minute practices were way better than our two hour practices because they just, they can't focus for two hours. Like it was too long for those guys. Right. Um, so little short bursts really helped, but you have to go in with a plan as far as like what skills we want to work on today. Right. Like what, what did we struggle with at our last tournament? And then like I said, figure out how many guys, once they're there, how can we make that work so that they're all going to benefit from it, but not being so regimented where you have to stick to, this plan that you came in with and then, Oh my goodness, what do I do now that's one guy's missing? Right. Because the other thing about 13 U that's really, really important is that it's uh, it's positions, right? Like it's triple ball. They don't, we don't have positions. They're not, we don't have like two setters and, and four middles and six outsides. Like they all play everything. So it shouldn't really matter how many guys are actually there. They can all do something. They all need a chance to set like our hitting warm up. When we play a game, it's like everybody gets one set. If we go for the line once, okay, next guy's in, right? Like we just keep rotating through um, and it allows them to all develop a little bit that way. And it's not, it actually, there's some things from 13U that I think we can take to our older ages um, and take them out of their box a little bit, like at certain times of the year and apply to them, right? Like when you're coaching a 17U, 18U team, and I started doing a lot of that the last couple of years is okay, like middles, like you're digging, uh, you know, you're blocking in position two today, or you're digging out of one, or you're going to be our setter for this drill, right? And guys, like they crap their pants, right? The first time you do that, right? Like they don't want to do it. They're so uncomfortable doing it. It's okay, well, what if, what if we're playing a team who like they don't hit the ball to certain spots or they don't run certain options and you're our best blocker? Like we want to be able to put you out there. Like let's practice it now. And I'm not saying obviously do that the week before nationals, but in January or February, like mix it up, keep it fresh, right? Let all the guys have a chance to develop because you never know when they, if they're good enough to get to the next level, 
um, the best six foot five, eighteen U club middle um, in the country might go to a university team and they want you to play opposite and you haven't hit one high ball your whole club career because your club coach only let you swing in the middle, right? Like let these guys kind of experiment with it now at those older ages. So I took some of those things from 13U, put them into our 17U team. And I took some of the 17U things and put them with our, with our 13U team, right? Let them have a chance to experiment with, uh, with both things. Because if you let the guys decide at 13U, they would want to hit every single practice. That's all they'd want to do. Like you just come in, we just hit for 90 minutes and we would never get any better at anything else. Right. So, uh, and I don't blame them for that. It's the most exciting part, but really tried to make that the reward of every practice. Like, okay, if we're good at serving today, we're good at passing today, we'll hit for longer than we normally do. Right. So there's kind of motivation that way too with it. And, uh, I loved it. I thought it was an awesome year. I don't know if I would do it again because coaching two teams in one year is, is pretty tough, um, to try to balance that with tournaments and practices and everything. Um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I would recommend it to a lot of people who, if they're looking for a team to coach, like in club, I want to get involved, coach a 13 new team. Cause, uh, you'll have a great time. Yeah. It's so cool to hear about, uh, just the club's philosophy, your philosophy and just the pathway. And, uh, you and I were talking before the show, I thought you would, would have crossed paths with, uh, Luke Kerr at the university of Manitoba, but then I found out, uh, you crossed paths with him being a two four guy and now he's playing BNL for our senior national team. So just on the topic of talent ID, uh, revisionist history, but was there anything that stands out as a, as a youth athlete with Luke that you're kind of like, yeah, I could see him going down this journey eventually. Like, was there anything that uh, signaled to you that he could be a professional volleyball player someday? That's a great question. Cause Luke, like we're kind of talking off air a little bit. Um, you know, he's had this amazing journey in volleyball, right? He's, he's a 94. So he's going to be 29 this year if he's not already 29 and to be getting kind of your first crack at, uh, being kind of the guy and have opportunity to be an L on his big stage at 29, I think is, is pretty rare in, in our country, maybe in some other countries that happens and kind of pay your dues a little bit. But I think, you know, for a lot of times with, with us uh, in Canada, guys are already like, there's guys who are born late nineties who have already like been on the team and retired right before Luke has really gotten his chance. So he was a very uh, successful athlete with us when he was our setter we lost the 18 national final that year in 2012 to crush who ironically Mar and Demyanko were on that team and he's now teammates with them. So that's kind of funny how these things come around um, that way. Um, but if I told you Luke's path, you would not even believe me because people don't, they don't understand how this can happen. He played for us 16 U, which is our first year of 204 ever. So 2010, he was on our very first 16 U team and uh you know he was good but like skinny 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 um you know good hands like a good player but like really just kind of calm quiet guy kind of just chuckling all the time like didn't say too too much didn't play 17 U because he wanted to focus on basketball and baseball those were probably like his two sort of main sports so he didn't play club at all in 17 U 18 U wasn't going to play but um we told him if basketball was going to be an issue to not like not make volleyball a priority until basketball was over. And he played on a high school basketball team where they went to the final four of Ventures in Manitoba. He did not come to a practice until March. Like club starts in January. He did not come for the first two months, which probably sucked for the other two setters on our team because I think they, they felt like, you know, they obviously were doing pretty well. And all of a sudden this guy just shows up and ends up starting over them. But our mindset to these athletes, I remember having a very, very honest discussion with them because they kind of, again, the guy's like, Hey, this isn't really fair. Like this guy's never here. Why, why is he still getting a chance to start? And our answer to that was, well, if he was here every day, then you'd have no chance because he's still better than you. And he hasn't been here for two months. Um, he's that good. Like you've had all this opportunity. Um, he's that special of a, a player Like he can miss the first two months and come back and, and start in March and beat you out by May. Um, he deserves to start, right? Like it, it doesn't matter uh, whether he was here or not. And now the basketball is over. He will be here every day, which he was. And uh, he had a really good yeah, club career, but he was going to be playing baseball. Uh, he wasn't going to play volleyball. I think he was trying like baseball was kind of the goal for him. And we won provincials that year at 18 U in Manitoba. And then Garth kind of came around and sort of uh, talked to him a little bit and just decided he was going to go play U of M for volleyball. And he went to, went to U of M and I think sat on the bench for one year and then kind of was their guy for the next few years. Uh, but a big thing for him was he got 
like massive. He put on so much weight, uh, so much muscle, like not in a bad way. He just spent a ton of time in the weight room, got really, really strong. And I think that helped him out a lot because he's not a big, big, big player, right? Um, but he was a guy who was just kind of willing to grind it out. He's been playing pro now for, you know, quite a few years, been bouncing around a few different teams, spent a lot of time in Germany. And now he's finally got his chance. And it's so cool to see that at 29, he can step in there and uh, be the setter for them at the highest level in, in our country. Amazing. Yeah, such a unique journey that I uh, definitely got to get that uh, that cat on the show and hear it in his own words because that's fascinating. Uh, another cool experience you had was when you're coaching the youth national team. Some of those guys are now playing university. And I always think in talent ID, uh, very good stands out, very bad stands out. And then there's a ton of gray in the middle. But I'm wondering if somebody who lived through it is a guy like Skylar Varga, like you walk in the gym and he's just the real deal where there are other guys that stood out there because I was just looking at the roster the other day and man, there was a lot of talented guys, but I'm wondering, we don't have to name names, but like what kind of caused guys like that to continue on the path that we all kind of thought they could and maybe what caused some guys to like drop off? So first question being, is Skylar just that good? And second one being, when you look back at that group, like who who's like an A plus that you're kind of like, yeah, I, I everybody saw this coming and guys who kind of stumbled, why do they stumble or why does it not work out maybe the way we project them? So I don't know if you ever used to do fantasy golf back in the day. Right. So, you know, like fantasy hockey, fantasy basketball, fantasy baseball, these sports, there used to be like fantasy golf. I'm sure there still is. But um, you know, a lot of times you weren't allowed to pick Tiger Woods. Right. So like in the pool, it's like you can pick any player you want, but like you can't pick Tiger because everyone's just going to pick Tiger. And it's kind of like, pointless to have him on your team when he was in his prime. Right. So uh, Dave Preston was one of the coaches on that staff and something that I thought that was really cool. And this was one of the best aspects of being a coach on that um on, in that program in that summer is that you're together all the time, right? For, for better or for worse. Like I'm sure some of the guys probably got, um, you know, sick of some of my stories and whatnot and stuff started tuning me out after uh, three weeks of being in Vancouver. But, you know, we eat, we eat together, we wake up together, we have breakfast, like you're good all the time. And you can really dive deep into things and analyze things. And Dave used to always ask during dinner, um, okay, who, who won the day? Which I thought was like such a good way for us to analyze. And he'd be like, who was our best athlete today? And, you know, the first couple of days was like, oh, Skyler did great. Like Skyler was awesome. And, you know, Skyler was so good at this and Skyler was so good at that. And then probably like a couple of days into it, Dave was like, okay, like Skyler aside, who won the day? So, you know, Skyler kind of became the Tiger Woods that day, uh, you know, uh, for the rest of the summer in, in our, in our pool. Right. So he really, he really stood out like right from, from day one, I would say. And he was like consistently awesome the whole 17 days that we were there. Right. So what he's gone on to do, um, you know, obviously the success he had last year at Canada Games was Saskatchewan and then, um, you know, the University of Saskatchewan and then, you know, transferring now and obviously got hurt this year, which was really unfortunate, but um, not a surprise at all, I would say, like for him to get to where he's at. And I, I mean this in the most um, honest way possible, like the summer before he, we were all on Zoom, right? So that the year before when we were together, uh, it was a lot of the same coaches and a lot of the same athletes, but we weren't able to train together. So we did a virtual kind of team Canada thing for a couple of weeks, which was, was really, I mean, it was the best alternative that we had. Right. But here's this guy, like I had never seen him in person. He's from like a smaller talent, Saskatchewan. Right. And never seen him play. He's kind of got the like big smile, kind of curly hair. Like you don't really know what, what you're getting. And he was one of the most engaged guys in the virtual sessions, but you have no idea like, what guys are going to be like when they're actually into the gym. So when we finally got into the gym and you're like, man, Skyler's massive. Like he's way bigger. And I know it sounds funny, like how tall someone would look like they're going to be on Zoom. Like how could you even possibly guess what someone would look like? But he just didn't look like he'd be that big when he was sitting in the chair. So I think the first couple of days that was part of it was the expectation of what I thought Skyler would be just off of Zoom, which I know sounds ridiculous because how can you gauge somebody's volleyball skill off of sitting and talking to them on Zoom for a summer, right? Um, but when he showed up, uh, was a bit surprising. But then every day he just consistently brought it and he was awesome at every single skill. Like there was never a letdown that way. So his path has not surprised me uh, in the least. And I think the biggest thing for him is that he was just super driven. He's a guy who was like willing to do anything to get to the highest level. And he'd be the guy, there was multiple guys, but he'd be one of the guys who was always doing the laundry and always cleaning up and was always just kind of doing all the right things. So it's no surprise to me that he's on the path that, uh, that he's on. 
and uh, just a super good guy, like a great, a great kid, uh, somebody from that group that uh, excited to see what he will continue to do going forward. Um, but we had a discussion um, with that group of guys that, you know, if there was 30 guys in that program, like a good portion of you aren't going to make the junior national team, like going from youth to junior, because there's only going to be, you know, 12 or 15 spots. So like half of this group right away, you know, for sure it won't be bad. Like it's just impossible. Even if you all develop and do amazing, there's just less spots because we took way more guys at that youth year because of the circumstances of what was going on that summer. Right. Then you factor in all the guys who just are going to develop and catch up to you who aren't here today because there's going to be athletes who aren't here in the summer. We're going to be motivated by the fact that, that you're here and they're not, and they think they're better than you. And they're going to continue to work, continue to develop. They're going to grow. They're going to get stronger, right? They're just going to go on their bodies, all that kind of stuff. And that's what you, you see happens, right? So I don't look at so much as guys necessarily falling off, right? Because I think that's kind of unfair, but it's just those other guys on that different sort of trajectory have the ability to, to catch up and pass some of those players, right? Because, um, just with the situation that they're in, right? They have, they get maybe at the next level, they get some coaching that really clicks with them kind of thing. So I think if you look at that junior roster, there's, you know, a handful of guys who weren't even in that 30 man group in that summer. Right. And how could so much change in just a couple short years? Like how could you, I think somebody's out there going like, wow, those coaches didn't know what they were doing. Right. Or uh, how could you got it so wrong? It's like, no, we weren't wrong before necessarily. It's just that guys develop and guys change. Right. So um, it's cool to see the guys that were part of it and they've continued to develop. Um, and, you know, the guys can go back and look and see who's on those rosters and stuff. And I'm sure for them, it's pretty neat that they've been part of that pathway all along. Um, but we really tried to stress to them. It becomes very, very, very narrow, right, as you work your way through. Because eventually you get to an age, a point where age no longer matters, right? Once we get to the senior level, we're all in the same boat. And it doesn't matter if you're the best player in your age group anymore. If there's two guys in your position who were born five years ahead of you that are still better than you, then they're going to get the spot on the team, right? So... Uh, I'm excited to see what they'll continue to do the rest of the summer. Um, but uh, it's neat to kind of follow along, follow on their pathway and follow along uh, with their journey to see that they're still part of the, the Team Canada program. One thing I see at my level that I would say is a flaw that I think affects people with a talent ID and at least their pathway is the ability to deal with failure. Because like you said, you're putting 30 of the best guys in that age class in a gym together. Like we have 16 on our summer team right now and just you get exposed, right? Like you're used to being kind of the big fish, small pond or whatever analogy you're going to use. So what advice would you give to athletes in that situation that like, even though you're around your peers and you want to be the best, uh, 2002 birthday or whatever age class you're working with, like how can those athletes, like, I think growth mindset is a buzzword and I think a lot of people are aware of it, but when that gets tested, I see a lot of athletes fumble that. And I think if you were to ask me, like if I were to look back on a roster and say, wow, we projected this guy and he didn't develop, nine times out of 10, it was probably like they didn't want to work on what they weren't good at. And that's why they got passed. Yeah. I think there are cases where there's obviously athletes who got to level they're at, not, not from a lack of working hard, but they're just very fortunate, right? Whether it be a size situation or they had more coaching early on. Right. And they kind of got to a level where they didn't necessarily have to like, we'll say grind it out where some other guys did, right. They've always sort of been the best player. And there's a lot of guys who, as soon as they're not the best player anymore, they lose interest, right? Like auto, almost automatically, like they get to the spot where I don't want to do this if I'm going to be on the bench. Like I only, I only like playing if I'm, if I'm the best player, right? And so you're going to see some of those guys, they just completely fizzle out as soon as things become a little bit difficult. And um, that's really unfortunate, right? Because you look at a guy like Luke, you to circle back a little bit, right? Who's kind of now only getting his sort of first real big break at 29 years old. And... Um, if he would have quit earlier, then obviously he, no one's going to be beating down his door to convince him to come back, right? If he wasn't the best player all along. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's one of these things where I would like to see way more of our athletes at a younger age involved at, at, in these high level programs, right? So we had 30 that summer and I know it's tough because you need, there's financial and there's, you know, gym time and coaches and there's tons of resources and stuff. But I would like to see like four teams of guys, right? Like get get like 40 guys in there, 50 guys. Just get, and I know that some people disagree, but at a younger age, like get a really big base, try to get them into like our, our pipeline of volleyball candidate, introduce them to some of these concepts, right? 
throw as much of this stuff at them as we possibly can at the younger ages and um, get them. And it doesn't have to be like a team that competes necessarily, but try to get some of these guys together and, and find out early, 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 like what some of these guys are like, not just as volleyball players, but as, as people too. Right. And how do these guys handle being on this schedule? How do they handle they handle the accountability of being a part of a program like this. And if they struggle with it, we don't, we don't uh, cast them aside. We don't say, okay, well, we're not going to look at them for the rest of their time. Right. But this is somebody now that we need to do a bit more work with. We need to take that information and, and feed that to some of these other coaches along the way to, to bring them along so that when they get to the highest level, right, we've really put as much resources as we possibly can to the guys when they get to the junior and senior levels with, with our teams. And, um, I think that would really help a ton. And I know that, you know, we don't have the, the youth program anymore, right? We, we don't really have that system. And to me, like as much as I love being a part of it as a coach, so it's disappointing that way. I think it's tough that we don't have that right now, uh, because we've kind of switched to this sort of NEP model, right? Where the guys are going away in the first part of the year and going to Gatineau, which is great, but that's only 12 to 15 guys. And if we don't get the right guys there, uh, are we casting a wide enough net at the youngest age? So I'd like to see it a bit more, but I'm just one guy. I really have no say in this situation whatsoever. So, Yeah, it, it is funny because I've gone down the rabbit hole of talent ID and even looking into long-term athlete development. And I think the only thing that gives you a chance is the wide net because you don't know. You really don't know. You're working with uh, 30 of the best, like 18 news in the country. And here we are like, a couple of years later going, oh, like the, this guy did this and this guy did this. But like there's guys who didn't project the way we thought they would right so yeah i think the wide net but i think the risk of the wide net is do you have the resources are there enough good coaches like you said is there a gym space available all the costs so like there there is this teetering point or this balancing point that uh, i certainly haven't figured out but i think that if any provinces or clubs are looking at this i think the the more kids we can get playing volleyball at a high level or expose them you really don't know what they're going to project because well we'll have to follow up with luke and i hope we get him on the show but uh, there's no way at, at 19 or 20 years old he was projected to be the starting setter on the a-team right no, and I think he was a, a good university setter, right? Like he, he was a guy that other teams would look at and be like, yeah, he can play, right? Like he's not, it's not like he came out of nowhere. It's not like he was on the bench at U of M and all of a sudden has this, you know, crazy path. Like he was a starting setter at university. Um, but if you think of like this year at 18U Nationals, for example, I think there were, well, there was 32 teams in sort of their top division for boys, right? And then there were another 30 or whatever teams, 30, 40, 50. Like I think it ended up being 80 teams. If you think there's 80 teams at 18U boys and there's another 60 to 70 at 17U boys and there's 12 players in all those teams, if we're talking, if we're taking 12 or 15 of those athletes at the youth ages of the, like I just said, 150 teams over 15 athletes, like this is 1% right. We're dealing with that are getting into that stream of, of the coaching. And I can speak for myself personally for, uh, and this is another part that's really, really important to me, I think is that there are so many coaches who would benefit from being part of that program. Right. So even if you just go and all like, you don't even really like get, you're just like, like a kind of development coach. Like you're just out there just to shag balls and like listen to the university coaches and just be out there and just take it all in. That's going to help develop the athletes as well, because now you can take that experience and go back to your club or your school or your program, wherever it may be. And you can install some of the things that team Canada, the senior team or junior team or whatever is whatever level we're working with is trying to do. And you can decide if you want to start doing that with some of your local athletes. Right. And then all of a sudden now everybody thumbs up, right? We all get better because of that. And I can say for myself, first, there was a lot of things that we were experimenting with the youth team or, you know, with, uh, when, when Mike Hawkins was the head coach, right. Or if Kerry was the head coach and different people that I had a chance to work with, Matt Harris was the head coach where, you know, they tried putting some of the things that the senior team was doing in. And I could see some of the guys getting it. And I could see some of the guys, like they just weren't at that level. They, they could do it. And then I could decide, like, this is just not appropriate for our, our club level player, right? Like, this is something I'm just not going to spend time teaching them because they're just not a good enough athlete to do this, right? Um, so you don't have to go, like, just take everything word for word verbatim and put it back into your club programs, but you can have the ability to decipher what things are really important. And then when you do that, just everybody gets better. The coaching is better. The athletes are better. 
and then we have just better volleyball all around in our entire uh, in our entire country. For sure, for sure. And I wanted to pick your brain on this, and I think it it happens in waves, obviously. So I think the the Toba era, where maybe Eric Lepti's age group, and they had a great club team, and there was Toba guys on the national team, and then uh, arguably it dipped a little bit. But now looking at the U twenty one team, there's four Toba guys, and that rivals. Uh, Alberta, a great volleyball province that beats out BC, that beats out Quebec. Like, uh, I think you only have less players than maybe Ontario. And there's even a couple Saskats on this team, which is interesting. But a, a pessimist might say, well, it's two, uh, two Manitoba coaches and a Sask guy is the assistant. But uh, maybe that had some influence. But I'm not going to go down that road. The point I'm trying to make is it does happen in waves. But uh, is that a point of pride that you're seeing more Manitoba guys on the national team? Because when we had Grant Wilson on the show, he said that there's no spoken agreement. It hasn't been explicitly said, but like between him, Larry and Garth for the longest time, like it was nice that Manitoba was a tough place to play and they wanted to be competitive in the Canada West. They wanted to put athletes on the next level. So uh, I'm curious with you being a club coach, when you look at rosters, you see who's getting the invite to tryouts. Is that just nice to know that uh, not only 204 is doing a good job, but Bison's is doing a good job or Winman or some of the other clubs around? Like, do you view it as a rivalry or do you view it as like, you know what, when club season's over, I just hope team Manitoba and team Canada do really well. You know, it's a bit of a, a loaded question. I got a few few thoughts on that, I guess. I mean, I think it's obviously, for like me personally, I know for all four of those Manitoba athletes, I don't know Jonah Duick uh, as well, but I obviously have, I know him. Kind of, he was involved with the youth team when it was the virtual summer. Um, but, you know, Sammy and uh, Spencer were on the team when it was uh, in, at UBC that summer. So, and I got to coach both of them directly that way. And then Josh, and Spencer actually played 204. So I have a lot of history with those four guys. So it's, it's very cool to see that way. And I think, you know, club stuff aside, wherever guys go to play university, all that kind of thing, like it's great to have guys from your community that are in those programs because it helps for our younger athletes to see that pathway, right? Like it, it's very, very hard, I think, if you're from a province where you don't ever see someone from your hometown or your community get to that level like it's hard for them to figure that they can get to that same spot right so i think that's motivating for for our local athletes that hey there's four players from manitoba who played club volleyball here in the same tournaments i was in and they are now playing at this highest level for their age in the country i can do the same thing right and whether or not they get there obviously that's there's a lot of variables to it um but they can have that as a as a goal and they can motivate them right um but i think for us as a as a province we need i feel like as a club coach when we if we won manitoba a few years back like we're going back now i've been coaching club volleyball for 21 years like i feel like when we won manitoba we knew we were going to nationals that we had a chance to win nationals because we won manitoba right that was kind of the way that it was and i think that has changed a little bit over the last few years uh obviously we lost a couple of seasons there and these things kind of they ebb and flow, right? Like Bison's won 17 new boys this year. Bison's won 18 new boys last year. That's that's awesome that we've had two Manitoba teams who had that result. But I'm talking like consistently year in, year out, every single age. Ontario has come a long way as far as getting, they always had great athletes, but I feel like the club volleyball, it wasn't quite maybe like as organized as it is now, right? And it was sort of like now it's kind of, they've gotten, they figured it out and Ontario like I think this year at 18 U boys, uh, Ontario was one, two, and three, right. For 18 U boys. Um, and they all were like clearly very strong teams and they have that benefit of playing each other all the time year round. Right. Which I think is something that we, that we have at a disadvantage. We just typically don't have as many strong teams. So our tournaments aren't, aren't as deep and that they're just not pushing the development as much because they're not playing with teams all the time. Right. So it's nice to see the individual success uh, for that. But I think we need more more of that. Guys coming from different programs, different places, to have lots of strong teams, so we can all get better and continue to hopefully have strong university programs. Because it's the same thing. Brandon has been the best university program in the province the last you know, ten years or so. I think Winnipeg won in '07 or '08 was their last win, and uh, then they lost in the final the year after. Don't think they've been back to nationals since. Right? They've had some good teams but haven't been to that same level. U of M won the year before I got there. They won in 2003, haven't won since, right? Brandon's been really, really close. Uh, but for me personally, like being in Manitoba, living in Winnipeg, it makes everything better if those three programs are really strong because it just helps create interest at the youngest levels in volleyball too, right? If the university programs are really strong. 
And um, yeah, it's been tougher, but hopefully they're kind of. I think both teams will be pretty uh, pretty strong this year, hoping in, in Winnipeg. And then Brandon is gearing up because they're hosting nationals soon, so I think they're kind of gearing up and loading up to be a really competitive program out there as well. Yeah, your your last comment reminded me of something here. As, as an Ontario guy, sometimes we complain that our club season is too long, but I'm curious as a guy from a different province, do you think those three months per year give us a little bit of a head start? Because we have tryouts in September. Uh, obviously, you guys deal with school ball in a different season, but like if we're talking three months per year and you play five years of club, like that's an extra season and a bit for some of our athletes, right? So uh, do you think your province has like – it's just a workaround and you guys think it works best for you? Or do you kind of look at Ontario and be like, yeah, the, that extra three months of training definitely adds up over the course of a club season? I think it's so interesting that there are probably some athletes in Manitoba who look at the Ontario and coaches too, who look at the Ontario system and say, you know, I wish we could practice that long, right. And compete for that long and have this many teams. And then there's athletes in Ontario who look at the high school system that they do play high school and they look over to us in Manitoba and think like, wow, your high school system is amazing. I, I wish we had that. Right. So it's kind of an example of where nobody probably likes what they have and everybody always wants it to change. Right. Um, but I think that we've been very fortunate in Winnipeg and Manitoba for so long where the high school volleyball is very strong. And I think that's why it, people have always felt we don't need to do club for longer because the high school system, there's a lot of great coaches and you know, they're playing a lot of big tournaments and, you know, helps their development. But there's a lot of athletes who aren't on those schools, right? They go to small schools. They don't, they don't have an experienced coach. They just have their Zed teacher who's maybe a basketball guy who also coaches the volleyball team. They don't have anybody else, right? So it's great for those athletes who go to those top sort of three, four, five programs who are training at that high level. Um, but to me, it's not a coincidence that the Ontario teams and the, and the female side too, right? We don't have female teams, so I don't pay as attention uh, as much, right? But the Ontario teams, year after year, male and female, they are the better teams. They are the teams to beat. And again, teams come in and out. There's always going to be other provinces that have a good team. I'm just talking on the whole, right, for all the ages. And I think that those reps and those touches and those training, they're definitely are paying off. And it's such a unique situation because in other sports, like you don't play school and club, right? Usually like for other sports, you kind of play one or the other a lot of the time, right? But in volleyball, we kind of have the system where we do a little bit of both. And I don't really know the right answer, um, but I, do know that I think it's going to be looked at a little bit in Manitoba. And I, I, hear, I just hear a little bit of some people kind of, you know, they're not wanting to play school anymore. They'd rather play club for longer, right? And it's curious if that system will change a little bit out here. But I personally have always loved the fact that, like, our high school final is played at U of M every year. And there's, you know, 1,500 or 2,000 kids there watching, right? And they get to play like on that big court and they get that experience. But that's only for two teams, right? And you got to think how many other athletes potentially benefit from getting the opportunity to train club volleyball a little bit longer. With that said, I don't know if I really want to coach a team from September to uh, to May, right? Like that's a that's a pretty long grind. It is kind of nice to give them the opportunity to play with their friends and play some other people and play for some other coaches and then come back to the club system starting in in December. So um, the challenge is it's out there. Like I said, the Ontario teams this year at the HNU level were all uh, were all really tough and they were uh, looking good and there's other you know good teams again every province has lots to offer but uh, you're gonna have to beat a couple of good ones from Ontario if you want to uh, a chance to, to win a national championship on the girls side definitely definitely and just the last thing I wanted to pick your brain on uh, before we call this one uh, you and I message back and forth a little bit and, and I'm not sure how it's gonna look but I'd love to build some hype and maybe get some of our, our listeners fired up is just the conversation of, of keeping the story alive and who are some of the all-time players or could be crowned maybe the best player of all time. And I think, you know, basketball does this so well. Hockey does this so well where if you and your friends are out for dinner, you can have an educated conversation about like Kobe in this era versus MJ versus Kareem. Like, and people get heated and they get passionate about it where um, – like even one of your friends, uh, uh, Tone retires and he gets nominated. And I don't think kids know how good he was as a university player or how long he played on the national team where maybe some of your 204 guys don't even recognize like Gavin Spitt now. And I think it's just like a, it's too bad for our sport that we aren't keeping these stories alive. And here I am saying like Gavin Smith, what if we brought up Paul Durden? Like I was at a volleyball camp once and uh, Paul Durden was coaching there and I came over the loudspeaker. Can Paul Durden report to the office? And all the coaches are looking around me like, oh my gosh, Paul Durden's here. Not one kid stopped to be like, oh, like who, who's just getting called to the office? 
Dallas here. So it's just funny yeah. in our sport that we don't celebrate this. And here I am dropping the men's names where like Stacey Gordon or Sarah Pavin or all these other names that need to come up uh, and just in our sport. So uh, what needs to happen for us to have more educated, informal arguments about who's the best volleyball player ever in Canada? Yeah, so I reached out to you with this kind of idea that I have, and I'm hoping that I can put this together somehow in the next little bit. And, you know, I'm very much somebody who I like to, like, I like to be aware of where we're at, but also not afraid to, like, look back and look forward, right? Like, I like kind of the history of things. I like the ability to project where, where we want to go, um, but also, like, not afraid to sit around and chop it up, obviously, and, and you know, talk about some of these memories that we have. And like I said, it's important for kids and people to understand like who some of these great players were. So I kind of had this idea that I would like to to use some of my contacts and, and use some of the you know, relationships that I've built to kind of build like this initial list of athletes. And I think it's important because I, I do honestly feel they're two different sports, like side out and rally point. I think they're like just two complete different eras there that it almost might just be too difficult to 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 put those into one list. So, you know, kind of reach out to some of these coaches and be like, Hey, over the last 25 years now, probably that, that we've been playing, you know, with, with rally point. Um, what do you like, what do you think who, who jumps out to you? Like give me whether it be from the guys that you coached guys you coached against, right. And start kind of building this database and then see if we can like whittle this thing down a little bit to a workable list where then we go back to those same coaches who, whether are they're still currently coaching, right? There's some, play, some coaches who were coaching back then, some have retired, you know, some who are been around a long time. And like, can we kind of not rank it like one to 50, but can we kind of put it into some of these groups a little bit? Okay. And then make it somewhat interactive where we can have a portion of this is decided by a bit of a vote, a bit of a poll, right? Like there's a lot of kind of things we can do to drum up some interest. Can we get some video potentially of some of the athletes? Can we, you know, do this to sort of honor them a little bit so that, you know, we can really bring back some of these names of some athletes, like you said, who had amazing careers, but I've just been retired for 15 or 20 years. Like they've been retired longer than some of the kids now have been alive. Right. And they're just not going to honestly know who they are because in volleyball, we just don't have a way to really recognize them all the time. And I think it'd be super fun if more than anything, just a great exercise of a way to try to like put this into some sort of ranking and to talk to some of these coaches would be really cool. And, you know, during COVID I had the idea, I was approached a little bit. Somebody was kind of giving me a hard time about starting my own podcast. And I want to sort of do, you know, some of these things of like interviewing some of sort of the legends in the sport and taking it into a different direction than what you do or some other great people do with their podcasts and a bit more of like, the stories of the times when they were coaching and the things that really kind of have less to do than volleyball, but more of things that happen maybe around volleyball and get to know some of these coaches a little bit. Maybe now that they're retired can tell a story or two more than they would have when they were still actively uh, a coach. So I think this would be a really great way to kind of like tie all of that together into one thing. And, um, you know, I'm a huge Bill Simmons fan. That's like my, my go-to when I go for my walk, like kind of a couple times a week, that's the podcast that really kind of gets me, uh, me through my walks when I go. And he's a big, like, um, ranking guy, right? He's always like updating his lists of like on the path, of like, he's got, you know, Giannis moves up in the title and Joe Kitch now is in the top 25. And, like he's always constantly updating it when things are currently happening. And I just love that. Like, I think it's so cool that he does that for basketball. And I want to try to maybe kind of help do that for, for volleyball. Right. And I feel like I could be a good uh, sort of vehicle to help sit down with some of these guys a little bit and put some of these names on paper. And there's going to be some guys that I've even forgot about right over my time and, and see if we can come to some sort of list, whether it be, you know, if there's a nice round number, like a top 50, a top 75, you know, and kind of split those groups a little bit. And I'd love to do the same thing for females too. I don't want this to just be on the male side. I just don't have the uh, the personal experience uh, coaching right within it, um, but I think there's enough people that that would that it could be a really cool thing to uh, try to put together in a little project for me to do uh, in my spare time. Yeah, it's it's funny now that I, I'm getting up there in years and been around where when so and so becomes known as like someone's dad, that's when I know that I've been around too long and there's not enough respect being played. Where like. Uh, 
Marquise is a three-time Olympian and Olympic medalist. And sometimes at the beach, he'll be known as like Marcus and Michaela's dad. And it's like, come on, like, no, he, he stands yeah. alone. Or, or I wonder how many people would recognize Ken Greaves and be like, Oh, is that, is that Mason's dad? Like they don't know what he did for our team. Right. So, and there's so many second generation or, or third generation volleyball players where, yeah, if we could find a way to, to get this organized and get the conversation started, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. And I think a lot of people, uh, we're going to pay respect to a lot of careers that I think need to be talked about more. Yeah, and I think there's there's obviously a statistical component to this that will help, right? Like I think there's some things that are that are very obvious. If somebody has the most points of all time, like they probably should be looked at to be on this list. But I don't want it to just be just be that, right? Because the way the game is played, how many games are played in a season, like the game has the styles have all changed. You can't it can't just be this linear. There has to be it's objective and it's subjective, right? And that's what's going to make this, I think, a really cool exercise if I can uh, if I can pull it off. Um, but I'm I'm pretty excited about the opportunity to try to do it a little bit. Um, I obviously have not been involved at the university level the last uh, handful of years directly myself, right? So I'm one to kind of be the guy to pull back into when I started at U of M and. You know, there's a few years before I was there and that kind of encompasses that beginning era and then work our way forward all the way through that. And I think what would happen is there's going to be a lot of people who will find it very, very difficult because there's just too many good players. Um, but the really cool part too, is you have guys like Brock Davidoff and Mark Dodds who, you know, Ben Josephson as well, like they played in U sport, right? Back then it wasn't called U sport. There's been multiple name changes now through the time that they've been around, right? But they were players, then they were coaches, and now maybe they've moved on, you know, like with Mark's coaching females, but he still sees a lot of the guys playing. Like you get all these different perspectives, right? Then you have somebody like Larry McKay or Garth Fishke or Dave Preston or Dan Oda who've been coaching, like they coached all the way through, right? And are still kind of involved. Obviously, Garth just retired. Um, You know, it makes it really interesting that way as well like all the different perspectives that will come through, right? Because someone like Brock is probably going to look at somebody he played against differently than somebody that he coached against, right? And I think that's what makes it really interesting too. So if, if, if it never goes public and it's just a way for me to like sit down and chat with all these guys and like throw names around and tell some stories, that would be rewarding enough for me. But I think that the volleyball community and the people who would be on those lists, I'd love to give them uh you know, their, their, their respect because they, uh, they deserve it. And however official it becomes, I don't know, but it sure would be pretty cool uh, to try to tackle it. 1000%. Yes. I think, uh, I think you have the idea how it should look. If anybody's listening and wants to help out, even if it's just logistically wants to build the survey so we can track all this stuff. But uh, one thing I love about the volleyball community is people want to help, but I also think people, people can admit when somebody was legit. So even like an example, like Garth Pischke, we know him as a great coach, obviously his children are great players, but like people in his era are going to tell some Garth stories. And I think the younger era is going to realize like how much of a a fantastic, amazing player he was. Right. So uh, I think this can just spiral into something awesome. But like I said, I think volleyball people are willing to admit that uh, even the amazing career that Brock had, he's probably going to say, you know what, I had a hard time across the end. It's going to be this guy. And and the list is just going to add because of like mutual respect and people wanting to give shout outs to maybe some names we don't recognize. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, I remember having a conversation I remember having a conversation uh, with uh, Ben Josephson one time about how um, he thought like Brian Enns was one of the best players that he ever saw, right? And this this is a guy that Brian Enns is somebody who probably 99% of you know kids playing club volleyball now might not know who that is, right? But he was a former player of the year. He's a guy who won multiple national championships, but he played over 20 years ago, right? And that's a guy like, how do you possibly compare him to the players now? I don't know. I don't know how the coaches would possibly would do that, right? But that's a guy who was an amazing university volleyball player, right? He was an amazing athlete, uh, just didn't necessarily like continue on and play in the national team, have a long career that way, but doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't a great university player who could be on that list, right? So there's multiple, multiple names of players who would be like that. Um, and there's always going to be some bias. Everyone's going to have a little bit of bias to it. And that's why you got to reach out to enough people to make it a pretty long list and then try to uh, sort your way through it and see what happens. Amazing, man. I can't wait to go down this rabbit hole with you. It's such a great idea. And I'm glad uh, you're going to involve me and so many other people that, uh, yeah, I can't wait to get started. So if any listeners uh, 
have an idea, a contact, a way of getting this organized, uh, I, I think we're willing to look for help. But uh, yeah, th this is amazing. And just for the rest of the interview, thank you so much for sharing the club philosophy, your experience this year, some talent ID stuff. I think we covered a lot of stuff tonight, and it's always uh, it's always great talking to you. Yeah, absolutely, Josh. I love uh, I love being a part of it, and uh, it's still you know unfortunate the one the lost episode that we had one time. Right, so this kind of makes up for it. It went into the ether, never to be uh, returned. But I do have one uh, you know one question. I before we were off air, you know, I was going to ask you. I thought I'd save it to now, but you know, I was kind of you as a, a Yankees guy. You know, and as we're doing this here, I noticed that you are now wearing the hat of the best record in baseball. Uh, Tampa Bay is this just the like the hat or is this a new change like I know judges out I don't want to stray too far from volleyball here but I feel like this is important to uh to tackle here yes so uh, I do have multiple hats as a beach coach they do get faded and pretty gnarly pretty quickly I, I do wear oh gosh I, I think Tynan uh, Gannett one of our players would say I probably have like eight or nine that I wear I, the Yankees are who I'm emotionally attached to so I, I definitely would wear them the most I don't wear my Yankees hat at the beach because it will get filthy and disgusting that's kind of like my my gamer hat but uh yeah I have a variety some based on players I like some based on logos I like but uh right now I'm just feeling the Tampa Bay one Okay, so it has nothing to do with the fact that they're on like scorching pace, uh, like 200-plus run differential, nothing like that? Uh, so I would love to hear about their talent ID and their pathway because I think they do the most with the least. And if they would open up their books and figure out how they do talent acquisition and how they get the guys to play because uh, baseball is a fascinating one. And I know we all celebrated like Moneyball and stuff, but I think Tampa Bay for – the lack of fan base, the lack of TV revenue, uh, even the lack of like free agency, how they've remained competitive. That's why I kind of like respect them and will wear their hat for sure. I could not agree more. They are probably the model franchise for uh, least interested fan base uh, <laughs> and uh, most recognizable names to correlation ratio to uh, to wins and talented players produced. It's pretty uh, pretty impressive. So. So, I mean, this is maybe a conversation to have over dinner sometime if we're ever in the same city, but uh, I will not wear a Blue Jays hat. I don't think they're committed to winning. I think the way okay. they fumbled the bag with the the Jose Batista, Donaldson, and Carson O, like that, that franchise, even going back to when Rodgers first bought the team and they spent all this money, but they spent money on guys like Adam Lind and Scott Rowland played for us a little bit, and we got the worst Molina catcher and BJ Ryan instead of Wagner. Like, I, I just think it's not a franchise committed to winning. I think it's a, a franchise committed to being average, and that shows in their record. Uh, so, there'll be no blue jays hat that's probably the only one i've outlawed right now okay that's fair i uh I'll, i won't argue with you so. well buddy thanks again for for joining and hopefully we'll talk soon yeah absolutely i'd be uh, i'd love to end up i'm i don't spend too much time uh coaching beach volleyball but i would love one day to either uh, you work your way out here i work my way out there and spend some time coaching the gym especially now that you have gone to somewhat up you cross sides a little bit this year and, and spend some time indoors i know that must have been a bit of a change for you i i absolutely loved it it'd been a while like because i had an 18 new team during covid so when they cycled out i think i took the second covid year off but uh yeah being back with dave todd and the york lions it was super exciting and uh I liked Aiden from the start. He was always this nice, polite guy. But then when I learned he was a 204 guy, I was like, okay, this just checks a lot of boxes where like he's a first year guy, but the way he carries himself, the way he talks to people that, uh, yeah, we were lucky to have a few out of province guys, but uh, definitely hit it off with Aiden right away. That's awesome. Love to hear that. He's a great, uh, great guy and somebody that uh, very, very proud of his, uh, his path and his journey in volleyball. Well, sweet, man. This is, this has been awesome, but I think I've, I've taken enough of your time for one night. Yeah, no problem. Always happy to, uh, to chat and hopefully we uh, talk again soon.